Welcome to Uncivilized Unplugged, the world's number one live podcast experience, according to my best friend, Drew. Every week, I try to get the most interesting people you've never heard of and put them in front of a live studio audience, studio being a Zoom call, and ask them the questions that no one else is willing to ask them. This is a podcast for people who look at the civilized world and think, no thank you. I'm not interested in a white picket fence, 2.5 kids, alcoholism, divorce, and probably diabetes. My name is Trevor Bohm. I'm the founder of the Uncivilized Men's Movement, the Uncivilized Nation, and the author of Man Uncivilized and Today I Rise. If you're interested in picking up a copy of my new book, Man Uncivilized, please go to manuncivilized.com forward slash the book. If you're interested in joining us for a live recording of this podcast or any other podcast that you hear, please go to www.manuncivilized.com forward slash unplugged. You're welcome to join. You're welcome to become part of this experience where you get to watch the conversation live and chime in with your own questions. And this wouldn't be complete if I didn't thank our amazing sponsor, Cured Nutrition, who makes the best CBD product on the market. Now listen, the only people I'll have sponsored this show are people whose products I use myself and I use Cure's products. I know their CEO, Joseph Sheehy, personally, and I start my day with their Rise product. I end my day with their Zen product. If you're interested in picking up some top quality CBD for you or your pet, go to www.curednutrition.com forward slash uncivilized and enter the discount code uncivilized. Now what we're about to jump into is a live call. So we're gonna start with a meditation. Please enjoy and thank you for supporting Uncivilized Unplugged. Welcome to Uncivilized Unplugged, what is widely known as the world's number one live podcast experience, according to a number of people who love me. This is going to be, uh, for those of you who are new to it, uh, I said we're recording also for a podcast, so you're going to hear some extra conversation. For those of you who are listening at home, if you want to be a part of this, which is actually a very interactive experience on Zoom, please go to www.manuncivilized.com forward slash unplugged and check to see who the next week's guest is. My name is Trevor Bohm. I'm the founder of the Uncivilized Men's Movement, Man Uncivilized the Course, and the Uncivilized Nation. Bam. My mission is to change the way one million revolutionary men express the newly emerging paradigm of masculinity. And I got a book coming out that I would love for you to grab. For more information on me, please go to www.manuncivilized.com forward slash the book. Or find me on Instagram at Traver Bohm. I'm going to tell you guys a quick tale. About four years ago, uh, my life completely fell apart. And as it was falling apart, as in the day it was falling apart, I got on the phone and called a therapist. And I looked, you know, I didn't know how to find a therapist. So I just like Googled therapy where I was living and saw that there was a guy who went to Boston College. And I went to Boston College. This isn't you, Tom. Sorry, you, you, you weren't my, uh, my first, unfortunately, but although you were the best. And so I go to this guy's office and I explained to him what I'm going through. Like, hey, my wife left two days ago 
Like I'm interested in sobriety. I think I have some challenges. And he's like, beautiful. Have a seat in my chair. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to follow my pen. Wherever the pen goes, your eyes go. And I was like, okay, this is fucking weird, but I'll do it. Boom. For the next hour, I just sat there in a chair following this guy's pen as he asked me questions like, how do you feel now? I was like, I feel like shit, but I feel like I'm following your pen. Half an hour later, how do you feel? Sorry, bro. Still feel like shit. And that was my first experience with therapy. So I asked a friend, do you have, I think I'm going to give up on therapy. I don't think there's much to it. And a woman that went to my gym recommended that I sit down with our guest tonight. And holy smokes, was that a life-changing experience because he wanted me to do shit I had never done before. And I will say at the time, I thought was moderately crazy, such as write down my dreams. Never done that before. Uh, Draw pictures of how I felt. And I had to have the explanation that special needs three-year-olds have better art skills than I do and was told that's not a problem. And to come, up, come in with both of these, like my dream analysis and stories and, and drawings, and he would reframe what I was going through in a way that actually had it make sense. And so I'm super excited to introduce our next, our tonight's guest. But before I do, just want to set the frame for what Unplugged is. Unplugged is supposed to be you guys getting access to two people basically sitting in my living room having an open conversation. So this isn't scripted. We're not really sure what we're going to talk about. Sure, I know Tom, and we're going to go through some basics, but this is also interactive. If you have a question for those of you live, feel free to throw it in the chat. And if we can get to it at the end, we're going to get to it. So tonight's guest is none other than the world famous big wave surfing Jungian analyst. Is it a doctor? No. In my mind, a doctor, Tom Elsner. Please, folks, live, quiet clap for the doctor. And Tom, if you could give us in just in two sentences, like real fast, real informal, who are you? What do you do? And if you have an answer to this, what is it that you're trying to build with your life here? Yeah. Hey, well, thanks, Trevor. And just, mm-hmm. you know, I want to say first, it's great to be in this conversation with you coming out of our work together and seeing what mm-hmm. you've built you know, over the intervening years, very cool to see how that's all developed. So that's part of the reason I was really looking forward to talking with you. Thank you. What a catch up. So yeah, like you mentioned, I'm a, I'm a Jungian psychoanalyst and I have a private practice in Santa Barbara. That's mostly what I do is work with individuals Mm. in my practice for a long number of years. I taught at Pacific graduate school. So I also teach seminars I give lectures around the world in topics of Jungian psychology. I'm writing a book at the moment that, thank God, is almost done. <laughs> it's been like an albatross around my neck, a metaphor that's taken from the subject of the book, which is Coleridge's poem, The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. And it's a, a symbolic understanding of that poem that's one of the most famous poems in, you know, from romantic literature. And using it as a frame, really, to look at what I consider to be contemporary myths in our world that were already germinating at the time of the 19th century, right when the Industrial Revolution was kicking into gear. So, yeah, that's in a, more than two sentences what Beautiful. I'm into. 
Tom, for people who are just that just showed up because they love doing this on Thursday nights and they have no idea what a Jungian analyst is, can you break if break it down for for like Jungian analysts for dummies? Sure. Well, Jung, the term Jungian comes mm-hmm. from the Swiss psychiatrist Carl Jung, mm-hmm. who was you know close to Sigmund Freud and kind of took over the uh, the stage of psychoanalysis at the early 20th century from him and developed uh, theories and ideas that people might have heard of today, like archetypes, collective unconscious, synchronicity. He was very interested in dreams and uh, an influential in the arts, sciences, literature. Joseph Campbell, for instance, was very influenced by him. Um, so a Jungian psychoanalyst is someone who works with people working on not only their conscious problems, what they're aware of, their memories, their goals, um, their fears, but on the unconscious part of their mind, which can go even into levels of the psyche that aren't, you know, that you're not even aware of. Mm. Dreams, for instance, speaking in symbols that you've never heard about, kind of like a CAT scan or an MRI looking deeper into the subjectivity of people. Um, and that's what Jung called the unconscious part of the okay. mind. Yeah. Tom, what, what grabbed you? Was this something you were always interested in or did it, did one day it just hit you? And can you give us a, a little bit of the journey of you? Uh, I can give you a little bit of the journey of me. Yeah. And this was from my background growing up, this was the last thing ever, <laughs> ever in the history of the world that anyone <laughs> would have predicted I would be doing right now. I mean, Going to a therapist myself, let alone becoming one, was just 180 degrees from how I grew up. I'll just, um, I was adopted and I grew up in an adoptive family whose values were very much mainstream American business, power, success, money, prestige. Actually, when my father told me later when he adopted me, he told the adoption worker that he liked to adopt boys that are tall, good looking, and smart. The reason being, for success. So, you know, I kind of grew up with three options in life, get a JD, a law degree, an MBA or failure. Those are the three. <laughs> and, and I went to law school, you know, just from the trajectory of that, That's went right. to law school, went to USD law school, graduated with honors, did really well, you know, was working as a lawyer for a couple of years. And then I went through a period of life in which everything went snap, crackle, pop for me. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents both died. I got married quickly thereafter to establish a family. That marriage fell apart. I had a belief in God at the time that also disintegrated when my parents died. And the whole law school, law course trajectory just started to blow like a cold wind through my bones. It was, became meaningless. And I, as I realized, I only really did it because of my upbringing. So religion, career, family all at the same time, basically snapped. So you got the rug ripped out from under you. Yeah. 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 Definitely. It felt like that felt like the ground, everything that I thought was true and real and good sort of just disintegrated. It was a scary time. I've heard you talk about these times too, in your own life and on your podcast, but you know, so then a, a roommate of mine at the time said, Hey Tom, maybe you should go see a therapist. You know? And I thought, what? So that's, that's for crazy people. I would never, ever do something like that. 
And he said, no, no, no. I know a Jungian person, a, a, a Jungian psychologist. It's different. It's not for crazy people. I thought, <laughs> okay, that sounds good. I'll try it. And like you had the experience with me, I had the same experience walking into this woman's room and she was asking me if I had any dreams. And I thought, well, yeah, I don't have no idea why you're asking me, but I had apocalyptic dreams, dreams like the moon was exploding. Oh, wow. Every I was running for shelter out of my parents' house. The world was being destroyed. The animals were all dead in the forest. Dreams about the eclipse of the sun. And she would take books of mythology off the shelf and show me images from these books that paralleled those in my dreams. Mm-hmm. And that, in a nutshell, was... Um, not only very hopeful to me, but also yeah. seemed like a huge discovery that there was some part of me that seemed to know a story that I was unaware of at a time that would just seem consciously to be just dark oh. and, and meaningless. Beautiful. So. so many people that chime into this podcast and, and tonight and come into even my world are coming in after the day that everything they knew to be true was no longer true. Mm. Would you mind just speaking for a brief time, even from a Jungian perspective, on what is a way they can frame that that will give them something to hold on to when everything has been, all of the pillars that they want to grasp onto have been taken away? Yeah. Well, I mean, one thing that's helped me a lot, apart from this theory of psychology, is just the facts of mythology. And if you look worldwide, that mythological initiation rites, say, or images of descents to the underworld, or motifs of change and transformation. The one theme that appears all over the world is that change happens through die and be reborn. Mm. Transformation happens through death, disintegration, and then reformation into new forms. So, for instance, a client of mine once was in a really dark depression state like you're talking about, where just disoriented it seemed nihilistic and meaningless to him what was happening in his life and he had dreams that showed there was a process of new birth growing in his life and at the time it was years ago i said look you're in a transformation process which i shouldn't have said really because it went way beyond anything he was thinking and he i but i never i'll never forget he just looked down his hands were in his head and he said Oh, it doesn't feel like transformation. (laughs) And and that made me realize he must have an idea of what transformation feels like or looks like. Like if I were to say to you, hey, Traver, you're being transformed. You might think, oh, I'm getting better. Mm -hmm. I'm glowing. I'm stronger now. I'm smarter. I'm more, you know, Mm -hmm. you wouldn't think of the caterpillar that crawls into the chrysalis and turns to goo and dissolves. Right. You wouldn't think of dying. You wouldn't think of disintegration. So that's you know, the archetypal pattern of how things change, sadly, you know, I think it's a beautiful explanation because that's not spoken about. Right. And one of the things you were most helpful with me on was not spiritually bypassing and Mm -hmm. recognizing spiritual bypass, which was, Oh, everything fell apart immediately turn this into the best thing that ever happened to me. Mm -hmm. I'm going to come out so much better as opposed to sit in kind of the sit in the shit for a little while. Yeah, be in that transformational goo. So I think just what you said is real. That is super helpful because in Western culture we don't hear about that. We don't hear that when everything falls away, this is a natural human pattern across all cultures. Right. Just knowing that is like, oh, okay. I had a, a call last night with a woman going through a breakup, 
and had a bunch of people on the call and said, how many of you have said the exact same sentence she said? Every hand went up. How many of you have fought for the relationship and now in hindsight are super glad that it's over? Every hand went up. And it was like, maybe there's an archetypal pattern to break up, to heartbreak. And just that let her take a deep breath. Um, Great. Yeah. For, for yeah, people, that's it. For people who are just have no idea of what this subconscious means, can you share a little bit of what it means to you and, and ways that people can access it or probably have at, been accessing it that they may not know? Sure. Yeah, the word we typically use is unconscious, just because okay. it's a neutral word. It doesn't imply above. It's not supraconsciousness or subconsciousness. It's gotcha. just neutral. It's other than, it's everything we're not aware of psychically. So you, I mean, people, you probably have had the experience of forgetting something. Yeah. You're not conscious of Today. it. It's unconscious. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, maybe people have had the experience of enraged, just losing it. You losing it. And then you might feel, oh my God, that wasn't me. I didn't mean that. That mm -hmm. wasn't me at all. It's not who I am. But it's an unconscious part of yourself that Jung, you know, these parts that Jung called the shadow side, parts we don't want to see, right. that we don't want to admit about ourselves, things we've forgotten or repressed, memories that are too traumatic, so that we dissociated from them. Um, things like that comprise part of the unconscious, things we're, we're familiar with from every day. And then Jung's idea of the unconscious in terms of the, having an archetypal dimension is that's part of our mind that's inherently human. And it doesn't have anything to do with our memories or Same things that happen to us. Yeah. People think of that word archetype and collective unconscious as being something really woo-woo or strange yeah. or bizarre <clears throat> or unusual. It's just the most normal, everyday, typical parts of human experience, mother, father, death, initiation, marriage, right. time, space, color, sound. Those are all archetypal experiences. They're not just Traver's memories. Mm -hmm. They're human experiences that we all share. Now, we typically think of all those things as just reality. Okay. Without being aware that we never see reality as it is. There's no view from nowhere. There's view through our eyes, through our sense organs, through our ears, through a, being a human biological entity. We perceive the world in certain typical ways. And Jung called those archetypal images. Okay. So it's, I really would like, if there's one takeaway from that, it's just mm -hmm. the most typical, most everyday human ways of experiencing ourselves in the world are archetypal. Beautiful. I'm loving lately the idea of the collective unconscious. Can you speak on what that is for people? Sure. It's, it's related to what I just said in a way. There's the personal level of the unconscious. That uh -huh. means everything that's happened to you since you were being born, your memories, events that were too scary that you don't want to remember what's been repressed. Okay. You know, things that you've integrated, stories you've learned, patterns that if you've developed over your life. Those are all things that belong to the personal unconscious. Now, the collective unconscious is, is similar to what I just said. Um, examples of experiencing it, say, in dreams, where you might have symbols in dreams that, you know, you might have the symbol of a, I don't know, a, a snake encircling the earth. Mm -hmm. And if I ask you, hey, Traver, what do you make of that? You'll say, no idea. Yeah. Or something trivial like, 
I used to have a snake as a kid or, you know, so, so Jung, Jung had those experiences, <laughs> Jung had those experiences in his own life and the lives of his patients and also his psychotic patients. He worked as a, a psychiatrist at the, the Berkholtzli mm. Institute in Switzerland, which was a residential inpatient schizophrenic clinic for 10 years. And he oh. lived there right above the schizophrenic patients. So it was actually his experiences of the delusions of psychotic people that tuned him in at first to this element of fantasy that can be archetypal or symbolic. Wow. Um, but it's religion and mythology mm. is, uh, the, is what that is. It's a treasure house or a storehouse of symbolic archetypal imagery. Mm, a storehouse symbolic, yeah. You know, the gods or God, demons, things that aren't just, you know, Joe living down the street. Right. Um, the idea of angels or something coming from another world, you know, is, is, is usually archetypal symbols that, you know, we're aware of from mythology or religion. Right. Yeah. How much of a role do you think myth is playing out on a day-to-day basis? I know that's kind of an odd question. Yeah, it's. If, can we spend a little time on that? Actually, Heck yeah, it is. It's your let's, let's rock and roll. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's a huge, huge question. I mean, how much of a role does myth play in everyday life? I would say it's the role all the time, a hundred percent of the time, all over the place. Our world is soaked in mythologies, and our experiences are soaked in mythologies, and we don't see them as such. We see them when we're unconscious of them as myth. We see them as just facts or truth. So. You know, it's just the first to start to get away from this idea of myth either being a, a lie or a delusion. Okay. Or being something just like religious only. Mm. Um, what are some examples of myths? Like politics is filled with mythological ideas, saviors, heroes, demons, devils. Good and evil is, yeah. is one of our core myths in the Western world scientific materialism you could see as a myth a myth is a way of seeing the world and perceiving it that gives it meaning and that structures it my boss god that guy reminds me of my father that's a mythological way of seeing your boss he's a father he's an authority figure a woman you fall in love with might be a goddess to you a mythological person a symbolic person filled with energy that makes makes it obsessive to be with her People, the reason you can't talk about politics is because it's a storehouse for people's highest values, our highest values, what we consider to be right, true, good, and and conversely, what's wrong and what's bad. Those, in my mind, are mythological ways of seeing the world. Stories, you could say. Yeah. Stories. The world's soaked in imagination all the time. We don't typically see it like that, right? Yeah. Yeah. You're just, I think my head just exploded. (laughs) Do you think that the the current political, can you frame the current political system that we're seeing in the U S as, is it good versus evil? Cause it seems to be just divisive and it's us versus them. And there isn't any cohesive conversation or even the space for communication. It's either like you're with me or you're against me. Do you have a a view on that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's something that really bugs me actually. It really bothers me. Yeah, like you said, for one, we have a two-party system, which is already a way of splitting the world into two. Mm. And and we, 
are on the good side and they are on the bad side. Right. Right. This is the, the symbolic idea of this, the shadow being projected onto other people. Oh. So, you know, the, the intense emotion that's constellated in politics has to do with that psychological phenomenon of splitting good and bad within ourselves repressing what we don't like about ourselves, what's antagonistic or incompatible with how we want to view ourselves in the world and projecting that onto the other side, you know? So if, for instance, if you're, if you're a typical Republican or typical conservative, your, your highest values have to do with independence, property rights, freedom from government, um, you know, those types of things and hierarchies, and being at the top of hierarchies yeah. and success. And those are your highest values. So whatever doesn't fall into your, your sense of value gets projected as something bad onto the other side, you know? So and conversely, for liberals, if you're a typical liberal, you, you believe it's important that to be compassionate to people that are left out of the hierarchies, right? Um, so the people that, that don't share that as their highest value are just greedy, evil if you believe in peace they're warmongers Mm. you know if you believe in strength through war the other side is just um naive and passive yeah so you get these these opposites that split the world into two and then the two sides battle each other out the problem really lies for me in every human heart every human heart has these opposites within it for instance, my father was a was an extremely conservative type of guy, and he was in the Korean War. I mean, his blood used to boil when you would say the word Jane Fonda. Jane Fonda, he would fall into a rage. Yeah. Because why? Traitor. Traitor. Be yeah. A more traitor, mm-hmm. right? So it's an extreme emotional reaction to something that is incompatible with his sense of what's true, right, and good in the world. You know, the yeah. devil. Yeah. Do you have an, a, a thought? And I think we've we've gone way off topic, which is perfect. Of why this suddenly it feels like the shift in the at least in the U.S. has become so polarized. Just in the last, was it Trump, or was it Trump just the symbol of something that was coming through us culturally? Yeah, I mean, well, this this is when if I try to answer that question, there's a lot of speculation. It's based okay. my opinion. I don't know how useful it is. My opinions on politics necessarily, but. But we can have a discussion about it, maybe with the other people too, because it seems to me that Trump is a figure that represents something about the American psyche. For instance, suppose we got rid of Trump tomorrow. There would still be whatever is here in our American culture that voted him in would still exist. Right, right. right, right. Um, and a it's, a, it's a throwback, yeah. I think, to a perception of the of obama being weak militarily not having enough of a backbone not having enough balls Mm -hmm. and then you get a guy who's very authoritarian and a a strong man type of personality uh who could be who's really like for many people a hero yeah he's emotionally targeting people and in ways that that turn on their sense of a hero he's not just trump he's a hero or conversely, he's not just Trump, the businessman, the obnoxious narcissist, whatever. He's a devil. He's evil incarnate. You know, people feel that way. And they say he's, he's Hitler. Yeah. Yeah, he's Hitler. You know, these, right. 
these are um, archetypally tinged projections that are full of some symbolism and hence so over the top emotional that there's no real possibility for discussing them. Wow. Yeah, I, I mean, agree. For, I'll share just a quick dream. Sure. One client of mine once, <clears throat> he was a very um, active left wing political activist. And if you would say the name to him, this was during the Bush administration, Dick Cheney, he would just fly into a rage. Just, I mean, an uncontrollable rage. Dick Cheney was the devil for him, truly. And then once he had a dream that he was on a fishing boat, a little fishing boat fishing. And guess who was his fishing partner? Get out of here. Come Dick on. Cheney. Now Dick Cheney and him are fishing in the same boat. See, this is this is the way the dreams, because I want to get back to the yeah. subject of dreams too, but dreams yeah, will, you know, compensate or bring us back around where we're getting too one-sided or or where they show us what we don't want to know, but what we should know. Um, Can you say more about that? Yeah, the dreams show us what we don't want to know, but what we should know. Yeah. They can be ruthless and brutal, and they don't pull punches. They can show if things are really falling apart. They can show where our shadows are. They can show if we're too inflated or if, or if we have a, a strange opinion of ourselves. And the, 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 what they're trying to do is bring our psyche back into a balance or homeostasis. Mm. If we get too far to the right, they, we'll have a dream that's on the left. If we get too high up, we have a dream that brings us down. Mm. If we fall too deep into meaningless despair, we might have dreams that bring up symbols that could be hopeful. Um, there's a compensatory dimension to them. So that's why paying attention to dreams is scary because <laughs> it shows what we don't want to see often, yeah. you know, but also really... Um, can be hugely beneficial to us if we want to have a sense of wholeness or reality or, you know, get on track with ourselves. Tom, what's a good p- protocol, for lack of a better word, of someone who's just listening to this and goes, oh, I've never, they, I just wake up and I go to the bathroom and I, <laughs> my dreams are gone by the time I've gotten there, or I've had this one strange dream. Is there a protocol to, to writing it down, to speaking it to a voice note, and then what do they do with it? I mean, I've Googled, you know, I dreamt my teeth fell out and it's like, Oh, oh no. Oh, this is terrible. <laughs> How do people, one, what's the physical protocol? And then two, what's the best way to not web MD yourself into thinking that <laughs> now I have cancer. Now I'm dying. <laughs> Great question. Yeah. 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 And those dream, those symbol dictionaries can do the same thing. If you dream <laughs> of a cat, it means this. If you dream of a, Going downstairs means yeah. So the yeah, there's a lot you can do with dreams. I mean, obviously, it's what I do professionally is also work with dreams, and but there's a lot that everyone can do just to, on your own. Mm-hmm. And I would say the first thing to do is if you're interested in this, is before you go to bed tonight, you might have a problem in your life or something that's been concerning you or freaking you out or or something like that. You might just just meditate on that and have the intention. Maybe I'll have a dream. So to have the intention to start with, I'm going to see if I have a dream. I'm interested in remembering them because we all dream three or four times a night. We all have REM sleep. Mm -hmm. All mammals dream, not just humans, but we typically don't pay attention. So we don't remember. And then keep a notebook by your bed or in a pen or a voice recorder or whatever makes sense to you. Mm -hmm. And if, if you wake up in the middle of the night and you just say, Oh God, I just remember a red car. Just write it down. You know, write down whatever you scribble it down at two in the morning, you know, whatever you can remember. 
if you wake up in the morning and you remember something, whatever it is, write it down. And you'll find that the more that you pay attention to these dreams, the more you'll remember them. And then once you've written the dream down, a way to go about working with the dreams is just say you have a dream. I dreamt of Uncle Joe in his red Ferrari driving down the street and then a cat walked by. Okay, great. So you would just write down the dream and then write down Uncle Joe. And then write down, just try to go into a meditative state and just see what happens in your mind as you think of Uncle Joe, what runs through your mind, whatever it is. Don't censor it. Don't think, oh, well, that's stupid. That doesn't really belong to him. Just whatever it is, write it down. Ice cream in the park, three years old, funny hat, whatever, whatever it is. Red, the color red, the same. Those are, this is what Jung called getting your associations to the dream. And this is the most important part. Rather than looking things up in a dream dictionary, you dream of a cat. What is a cat to you? There's going to be a lot of associations for you that to a cat that you might not find in a dream dictionary. So that's the best place to start, mm. you know, with dreams. And just that's the way you can sort of start to decipher their, their symbolic language because dreams are speaking in symbols. Mm. They're not speaking in literal, factual, logical terms. It's like reading a poem or Shakespeare. How are you going to understand a poem or Shakespeare? You know, it's a, it's a similar thing, this drama going on inside of you from a more archaic level of your psyche than what's factual, logical, rational. It's, dreams are older in time. They're down in the reptilian, mammalian brain. They're, they're imagistic. They go back to the way we thought thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago. They're archaic, you know? So they're talking in symbolic imagery. That's a place to start. Beautiful. I remember you telling me the story of perhaps a client of yours or someone that you knew, another practitioner, that the guy, his assignment was that someone was supposed to write down dreams for a year or so. And then finally he came back in and said, I've just been making all of this up. <laughs> and, and the response was, good. It doesn't matter. It's still coming from up and inside of you. How do yeah. you how do you help people who go red car Uncle Joe? That means I'm the best, right? <laughs> <laughs> like letting their ego. <laughs> That's great. Want me every that day. happens all the time. <laughs> it's a great question again because that, for instance, a man I worked with once, um, you know, all, or I'll get to that, but also it works that we project these dreams onto other people. So a man once I worked with had a dream that his ex-wife was on the cover of Glamour magazine and she had this big hat. And she was super narcissistic and grandiose, glamour. And he said, see, Tom, that, that's just how she is. I said, well, it's your dream, dude. It's your dream. <laughs> you know? So it's, it's the way of, of getting into, it's like, Uncle Joe, well, maybe I'm the best. Well, maybe you need to know that you're the best. Maybe you have a sense of inferiority and the dream's trying to, you know, boost that up. So that could be the case. Um, but it would just be by getting into the real associations with Uncle Joe, everything you remember about him for real, yeah. you know, and, and to sort of meditate on that during the day too and see what really comes up. So it's very individual. It's, it's very individualistic how to work with dreams. Yeah. You could have a dream that you're flying and it could have a whole different meaning than if someone else has the dream that they are flying yeah. because they're always reciprocal to what's going on consciously in your life. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. What's yeah. your answer to when people say, like, my ex came to me in a dream? 
And they're like, she came, she came, like literally came and visited my dream. I should call her or you know, something that yeah. is, I got visited. Is it, is it us? I know I'm asking you a really loaded question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Is it mm. our subconscious pull or unconscious pulling it up? Or did someone else come and visit us in spirit? Oh my God. I mean, <laughs> if you get two steps into that question, you're in pretty deep waters. Um, <laughs> truly. Um, of course, people do that all the time. If you have a dream of your wife or whatever, and she's laying next to you in bed, you wake up from that dream and it was bad. You're like, God, I'm pissed at her that she did that. You know, <laughs> or if you, the woman had a dream that her husband was stealing something from her and she's like, maybe he's really stealing it. Yeah. You know, so I would say as a starting point, let's try to take dreams on what we call the subjective level, namely every person in the dream, every setting in the dream, everything that happens in the dream to start with the idea that that's part of you. That's a part of yourself. Can you say more about that? Yeah. To start with the idea that say, say you dream of your wife or your husband or uncle Joe or a cat, or I'm under the ocean or I'm in a frozen landscape, whatever, or there's fire. It's all parts of yourself that are being expressed in this dream. It's your dream. Your wife is somewhere else at the time. Everything that's going on is purely subjective. That's a place to start for sure with working with dreams rather than to get into metaphysical speculations or, you know, talk about other people. And when you start thinking about dreams that way, it's a hard thing to do because then you're forced to start to take back projections that you've made onto those people you're dreaming about. So for instance, the guy that dreamt of Dick Cheney in the fishing boat with him, you know? He's, he's then challenged if he wants to take that dream seriously with like, is there a part of myself that is like Dick Cheney that I detest, that I can't stand, that the dream is trying to say, look, you're in the same boat with this guy. It's a hard thing to start to to do. Same boat. You know, you're in the same boat. You're fishing together. You know, what about that? Um, Hmm. So, you know, that's a, that's a place to, you know, the, the, if you might dream of a friend that, that you think highly of, you might dream of some guy, you know, that you don't like at all. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have that kind of dream, you can think, God, is that part of my shadow? That guy that I dreamt about that's so insecure or such a liar or is such a jerk. And every time I'm around him, I can't stand him. And then I dreamt of him. Mm-hmm. Is that, is there a part of me that is like that, that I just can't tolerate? accepting or being close to you know to start with those questions is the most helpful yeah that's really powerful stuff um how do you feel tom with the idea of like in the in the the goddess movement seems to be emerging and there's a lot of conversation even in the male world of of like bringing in the archetype of the king back into men and yeah. the archetype of the goddess back in for women and it's, yeah. yes, it's in the new age space, but it seems like the new age space is becoming more of the day-to-day space thanks to social media, thanks to Instagram. Do you see this as valuable or do you see it as a bypass for people and something to be actually wary of? I mean, Trevor, yeah, I think it could be both. Again, for me, it's so individual. It depends on the, what the person's doing with that idea. You know, you mentioned like like dreams can be enlightening to us, but the enlightenment means making the darkness more conscious, not trying to bypass it. Like enlightenment can mean I'm more aware of my shadow side. 
the archetype of the king, say, coming into the culture. Yeah, that's cool. That's, I mean, because that's such a positive image of if you can feel it. An archetype's not an idea. It's like an energy. It's, it's something that, that you feel in your body. Also, when an archetype's constellated, it has a visceral, somatic, emotional, energetic quality. The archetype of the king is your own authority, you know, subjectively, your own standpoint, your highest values. Yeah. Your sense of discipline, of order, mm-hmm. your your capacity to have those things embodied in your life. Um, and in that sense, getting if you have a dream of a king, for instance, mm-hmm. and getting close to that type of a dream where you can not just think about it, but embody that kind of energy can be hugely positive. Mm-hmm. And that is so healing for us, right, as men at a time when all of that type of energy for for many decades has been disparaged as tyrannical only or right. violent only right. or power hungry only i had the, my first experience of recognizing the positive value of the archetype of the king I actually was surfing about 20 years ago in indonesia i was surfing this really treacherous uh, spot called lance's right and it, the the reef in front of it it's called the surgeon's table <laughs> and it's a gnarly right hand barrel and it was very crowded and it was dangerous. Everyone was dropping in on each other. Yeah. People were getting in danger of getting hurt. It was chaotic. And then all of a sudden, this guy jumped off a boat, this big Hawaiian dude. And he was not only the best surfer out there, he had the most experience with the place, and he was the biggest guy. Mm-hmm. And he came out there, and he's, he just went, okay, you, 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 and you, in terms of who was going to go next. Yeah. Right? He was the king of the right. place. Right. And, and I recognized that, ah, oh, that's the archetype of the king creates order and makes things safe mm. and it's not necessarily tyrannical right um so in terms of archetypal myths in our culture and we can talk more about this the the main one i see this in your work and the main one i see is the archetype of the union of opposites today the union of masculine feminine mm-hmm. the union of psyche and nature the union of good and evil not they're splitting anymore so you know, instead of the the archetype of the feminine trying to dominate the masculine or the archetype of the masculine trying to dominate the feminine, mm-hmm. I think a huge archetypal field in our culture now is those things have to marry each other. Yeah. They have to unite in, in ways that haven't happened yet. Right. Um, you know, I see that in your work, for instance, if you think of your work with men's movement that you're starting, right. the spiritual man, the right. visceral man. The primal and the divine. The primal and the spiritual. Yeah. I want to, them to come together. That's a mythological idea of the union of opposites. Yeah. It's you know, when I, when I looked for masculinity, I found one or the other. Yeah. And I remember you saying the tension of opposites, that the tension between those two creates this massive energy field. And when you explained it to me that way, I went, oh, that's what I want to do to men. When you can actually bring both of these sides into your life, you will feel this extraordinary energy, which you can then go out and have in the world. Mm-hmm. I see so many men disempowered and de- unmotivated, demotivated, without a yeah. lack of initiative. It's yeah. like the, hopefully the king archetype is coming in to clear out some of the Peter Pan. Mm. which I get a lot of Peter Pan's calling and about 50 messages a day on social media from women who have gone out with a Peter Pan. Like when are, when are guys going to grow up? When the fuck are you guys going to grow up? Right. And And perhaps. Yeah. And right. And growing up is into something creative that hasn't happened yet. Like not going back to the 
1950s repressed, shut down. The no, Marlboro man. No. That's not right. so. What are we going to do? And this, right. if you don't mind me talking about you a little bit, if that's okay, go for it. Um, you know, from knowing you, that's one of the things I was just impressed about when you were going through your experiences that weren't so easy. You know, mm-hmm. in life was just those belonged to a process in you um, that was developing sides of yourself that you then are now bringing into the world, you know, that would only wouldn't have developed, but for your own dark night of the soul and your own hero's journey, so to say, or suffering, Um, you know, so the, there's a process that in my opinion has you, you're not the creator of that process. It has you, it's working in you and you're trying to bring that back as in the creation of new values to the world. Right. You want to give back to the world what you've discovered on your own journey from departing from the cultural norms. Yeah, You're creating new values. You want to bring those back to the world and offer them back to the world. That, that's the hero's journey, the archetype of the hero's journey. Yeah, Departure, you. initiation, and return. You know? I'm looking, you can't see it, but I'm looking at a poster, a hand-drawn poster of those four steps of my journey that some I had to do in a workshop about the hero's journey on storytelling, which I was like, I don't draw, this is stupid. Mm-hmm. And then drew and now have been carrying around with me for the last five years. Of yeah. that. Well, could, would you mind outlining real quick one more time for people what the hero's journey is? And then maybe we can touch on that. And then I'd love to ask you too, what, because I get so many questions about uh, per, romantic relationships. What are the patterns that you see archetypally, unconsciously, anyway, that are, are challenging right now, especially in relationship. Mm, okay. Yeah, great. Well, to start with the hero's journey, yeah, the, that's an idea that became popular in American culture through Joseph Campbell, right? He wrote a book called The Hero's Journey. Then George Lucas read the book. He was impressed by it. He wanted to create a modern fairy tale. He talked to Joseph Campbell. He created Star Wars that's based on that. But the hero's journey is a is an archetypal pattern you can see worldwide. It has to do with departure, departure from the norms of the culture. For instance, setting off on a voyage into the ocean mm. is one image of that. For departing from land, getting away from everything that's conventional, normal, right. the where you grew up, how you were taught to think from your parents, what everyone knows is true, and going through the dark night of the soul or the descent to the underworld, or the chaos, or the eclipse of the sun, you know, where you lose your bearings. Mm. That's the first step. And that's the first step towards an initiation into something new. So the three main steps of the hero's journey are departure, initiation, and then return. The return part's important. (laughs) (laughs) the return part is the return to culture the return to civilization the return to society once you've departed from it this is what Jung called the individuation process that was his psychological term for this the individuation process that starts by by us being true to our own inner natures we can feel a bit like a criminal sometimes or a sense of guilt from departing from how everyone thinks how, how everyone's supposed to live you know we can feel lonely and isolated when that happens to us at first yeah for sure uh, and then if the, if the process continues and all goes well and we engage it um pay attention to our dreams that are happening during this time 
find ways to be supported, find stories that support us, mentors that support us. We might find that a new life is growing in there like a, like a, like a embryo growing in the darkness mm. that has to do with, I would say, new values, new ways of seeing, new ways of perceiving the world. And that if we bring those back to the culture, we help renew the culture that way. So that's my idea of the hero's journey. It's something really staggeringly difficult. And when it happens to us, we don't say, oh, I'm on the hero's journey. We just think everything's fucked. My <laughs> life is over. Like I'm disintegrated. That's all we're thinking of at the moment. Yeah. You know, when it's happening to us. And like with my client, if I were to say too early, oh, hey, you're on a hero's journey. Right. And it, it, it was not convincing unless there's symbols, in my experience, and images coming up from within one's own dreams or inner experience or inner life that point to that. Mm. Yeah. That's super helpful for people going through hard times. I think just yeah. to have a frame that one, this is universal. One, it's happened to other people. Two, it's an actual journey with, with a comeback point. That it's not just this long tra- traverse onto an, an abyss that never, ever, ever, ever ends. And this is now your new normal forever. Yeah. Just having some framework around it, I think, is super helpful. That's good. Yeah, it certainly has been for me. Like, if we're in a dark hole, we feel better if there's others down there with us, right? Yeah. There's other people down there, too. It just happened before. And, uh, and also that there's a trajectory that has to not to do with only our narcissism mm-hmm. or our ego or our selfish sense of what we want. You know, because people sometimes feel like that in therapy that what's all the point of this is just a huge narcissistic enterprise and so selfish and indulgent. Mm. It's just for me. Martin Luther King, you know, in his last book, Chaos or Community, he said that America, for its very survival's sake, is going to have to give birth to new values. The old values that we have lived by for centuries that have felt sacred to us. He said, mentioned consumerism, capitalism, militarism. Right. are going to have to die and new values are going to have to be born if we're yeah. going to survive. So this, this individuation process is the way, in my yeah. opinion. The, how do new values come into the culture? They come in by individuals, lonely individuals, one at a time, living through that death of the old and the birth of the new in their lives. So wow. by living through it, you know, you're giving a little grain of sand to the balance scales of, of the whole culture. Wow. You know? That's a mic drop, Tom. <laughs> well done. I think that's, I think that's really going to help people. And it also gives some meaning to the suffering that it's not just suffering for suffering's sake. It's, there is a, an addition to society to it, or you are breaking the, the breaking down of an old cultural pattern. There can like, be. Yeah. I mean, if you think of, say they think of CEO, the CEO of Exxon, who's lived his whole life, assuming it's a man, his whole life on values of power and prestige and money. Yeah. And those are his values. Those are good things. They're not right. bad things, you know, for in his world. Right. But they're one-sided and they have unanticipated negative consequences. Mm-hmm. How is he going to change? How is it going to happen? What is it going to look like? Mm-hmm. It's going to be horrible. It's going to be horrific. Mm-hmm. For him to lose the sense of everything I've done isn't, it has a dark side to it also, is a humbling, sobering experience. Yeah, I mean, with, in my own life, when yeah, I told you a little bit, I grew up with those types of values and was a lawyer. And, you know, I remember being 26 years old and walking to the office I was working at. And this woman that, you know, she was 40. I thought she seemed super old to me at the time. She's probably 40 years old. She's, you're 26 and you're already doing this. 
you know, and I graduated with honors from law school and I was in this great job of making money and, yeah. you know, prestigious and everything. And I felt like, yeah, this is awesome. It's yeah. great. You know, but when I had that depression, one of my first dreams was of an eclipse of the sun. And that's what it felt like. The light had gone out. The meaning by which I had led my life had gone out. Yeah. And it was dark. And it was, it, I scored per, <laughs> I went to a psychiatrist before this and only for one session. And he gave me the Beck's depression inventory. I scored perfect, perfect score. Overachieving again on the depression <laughs> scale. <laughs> you know and the dream doesn't pull the punches it's like yeah dude your your light has gone out yeah your sun is eclipsed but inside of the sun in the dream of the eclipse sun was a heart that was growing mm. and when i paint i was the first painting i did was of that of that dream and it looked like a little embryo so i held on to that at the time i didn't know really what it meant it just maybe there's something growing in this darkness that i don't understand yet yeah you know, and what it was for me was it was a rebirth of a whole new set of values that I didn't grow up with, wow. of the heart and the community and relatedness and the unconscious. And yeah, it, it was, man, I mean, I could go on for a long time about that, you know? Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I, the thing I love about myth is the language. When you said like, my light went out and we use these words, right? I feel like I'm all alone in the dark. Like when we, when we listen to the actual words that people use about their experience, they are describing, I think, the mythological experience. They just don't know it. That's perfect. It's absolutely right. true. It's all around us. All the time. Kobe Bryant was on fire right. last night. I feel like I got punched in the gut. <laughs> yeah. Right? All yeah of these, you, I got knocked. I got these, the rug ripped out from under me. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly right. We have this way of, you know, always talking in mythic terms in a way or symbolic yeah. terms. You know, we don't, we don't, we're not aware of it, yeah. but that's all dream. Dreams are talking in the same way. Then it's an eclipse. My son, he got eclipsed. My light went out. Right. You know? Right. Can we transition real quick? And then I don't want to take up too much more of your time, Tom, of sure. what are some of the patterns you're seeing in relationship, especially now? Because it seems like relationship is also going under its own transformation. Uh, in yeah, that's the time. Um, it's, when you ask the question, it's like, I, I have to fight against this tendency that it's as if you think I'm an expert in this and you know, like, I'm going to give this expert answer and <laughs> you know, Hey, that is not, that is so not true. And I'm like one of the people too, of course, that are aware, like you are, holy shit. Like our paradigms of relationship are changing. Yeah. You no. Know? What are we doing about it? And what is the, what is the change about, um, all I can say is, you know, the old paradigms don't seem to be working for most people anymore, right. so, you know, which is almost even cliche to just start there. Right. Of the, you know, the, the man plays this role and makes the money and carries the boundaries and the power and the woman plays this role. And that's supposed to be the way it works. That never works anymore now for most, no. most people. Right. And, and, you know, like I have two kids when I was, um, uh, when they were first born, I was changing diapers. I realized, you know what? I'm the first man in my family to ever change a diaper my dad never changed one my grandfather knew and then i realized guess what how far back the, that goes that goes back to the dawn of time yeah like, i'm the first man to ever change a diaper <laughs> you know <laughs> ever you know since the dawn of time you know? <laughs> that must have been and a I'm moment expected to change them 
you yeah. know, and it's like, what is happening, you know? And That's a shift. so we're all like men and women, all of us are in this big paradigm shifting thing. And the masculine sides of women want to be lived in them and the feminine sides of men want to be lived in them. Mm. So it's, it's then what do relationships between men and women look like, you know, when there's not roles being played, you know, and that's a, that's a serious question that just starts, I'll just say, with getting to know your partner as they really are, mm. as they really are, not what you would wish they were, not what your father was like, not yeah. what you expect the, them to be, but as they truly, really are. And all I can say about that is that's a long fucking process to <laughs> slowly heal back layers and it's filled with disappointments and and disillusionments yeah you know um yeah it's that, um, that's beautiful right there right of how about we just get to know each other as as who we are and i think that necessitates also people coming into a relationship with having a basic understanding of who they are and am i mm-hmm. just playing into the roles of of the collective or do I not want to play that role and actually want to be this way? And do I have the strength to say it to my partner to risk the vulnerability of saying, I don't want to do things the way it looks yeah. on paper. Can we create something new? Awesome. That's, I know Trevor from know you and your work, you're fully into that. It's a lot of courage. It's great to break those chains and boundaries and create yeah, what you, you, what we want to do, what, what who we actually are and yeah. accept each other for that. Um, it's a creative thing. For, I want to say dreams help for me to just plug dreams again. Do it. I mean, just like just recently, I mean, just actually the other week, I'll just share a dream I had. Please. With, you know, in the partnership I'm in with um, Monica Whitman, we, um, you know, we're raising kids together. And that's something we love. And we love these kids. And and we spend a lot of time in family in our relationship when the when we're with our boys, you know, is, has a lot to do with family. And I had a dream just uh, recently that there was two Monicas and I was with the first one and we were with our family and everything was great that way, you know, but then there was a second Monica in another little house that I had to visit and she was all alone. And I was looking in her eyes and trying to see, you know, she looked like totally alone and upset. And as I looked into her eyes, there was globes. The earth was in both of her eyes, you know, and I had to relate to her too. And so for me, that's an example of, you know, I'm getting too one-sided into this family dimension of the relationship. Mm-hmm. And there's a, something that's missing for us individually, for her and me, for me, in me, you know, the side that's connected to the world more globally and needs attention. So just, wow. there's, there's, there's just step-by-step step with what's actually true deep within ourselves. Mm. relationships will bring that out relationships will of course bring out shadow sides and all sorts of stuff we can never do on our own yeah so yeah yeah, there's there's this idea i think more people are are realizing relationship can be a shared individuation process and not just the means to raise children or a fling or whatever or a power-based thing or narcissism or you know fantasy yeah Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that dream. Tom, here's a hard question for you. I know I've thrown a couple of zingers at you, but I'd <laughs> yeah. love to ask this to all of our guests because my audience is the elite. And so they, they are very also very generous. And if someone listening to this could help you with one thing, 
could get you a contact, could get you on a stage, could introduce you to someone, could do something for you personally that you can't, you're not allowed to say like, be kind. For Tom Elster <laughs> as, as a symbolic payback for your time and energy tonight. Oh, cool. Wow. Um, well, I mean, what's running through my mind now probably is because I'm working on this book and working on getting it finished up, the book on Coleridge and, and romanticism and the myths of our time. So what's running through my mind is if I'd love to find ways to, when that book gets finished, it should be the end of the summer, it should be published by the end of the year, to find ways to get it out there more in the world, to communicate it to audiences that are interested in these ideas we've been talking about tonight, say. Amazing. Um, that's that would be helpful. I'd like to do that. That would be fun to get okay. the book into the world. You know? Beautiful. Where can people get more Tom Elsner? Do you have a, a website? Do you hang out on social media? Uh, besides the surf break, where can people find out? <laughs> more, more? Uh, I'm not a big social media guy. I have a website. It's Thomas Elsner, E-L-S-N-E-R.org. And uh, you can also email me at T Elsner 7, T-E-L-S, ner7 at gmail.com and i'd love to hear from people and that'd be a great way to communicate amazing thank you i mean this thank you thank you not only for sharing your time and energy tonight but for the massive role that you played in my transformation and therefore what i'm out giving to the world right now too your your signature is on there and it's stamped on there so i truly truly appreciate you and, and all that you do. Yeah. Thank you. Trey. It means a lot to me. Thank yeah. You. I appreciate you coming on. This is, I've got like 75 more questions. Uh, <laughs> each one has like 75 offshoots. Like all right, <laughs> the other day I was dreaming, uh, <laughs> but we're going to wrap this up because we're getting a little bit late. But yeah. again, for people who are interested in finding more about oh, my book, please go to www.manuncivilized.com forward slash the book. Or you can find me on Instagram at Traver Bohm, T-R-A-V-E-R-B-O-E-H-M. And if you are listening to this at home on any of the podcast platforms, please give us a big thumbs up or a five-star rating and subscribe and tell people about this. I'm trying to get more and more interesting teachers like Tom on here to share, uh, share some amazing Thursday nights. And for those of you who did show up and give your time and energy tonight, thank you for joining us. Have a wonderful rest of your evening and please stay uncivilized. Cheers. Thank you, Tom. Take care, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that episode of Uncivilized Unplugged. This is Trevor Boehm, your host. If you're interested in joining us for one of these live, for sitting and watching and being a part of the show itself, please go to www.manuncivilized.com forward slash unplugged, hop in your email and you'll get a notification of how you can join. If you're interested in working with me or following any of my work with men, please go to Instagram and at Traver Bohm, T-R-A-V-E-R-B-O-E-H-M. Every day I do a post, a video, or something about how to get you or a man you know from A to B. And if you're interested in buying my world-shaking book, this thing is really causing a stir right now, please go to www.manuncivilized.com forward slash the book. And lastly, please drop my sponsor some love, Cured Nutrition, www.curednutrition.com forward slash uncivilized 
discount code uncivilized. You guys, I really appreciate your support. Thank you so much for joining. Please help me share this. Please help me spread the word. And as you know, go be a fucking legend.